welcome to the Scottish podcast by Scottish people about Scottish things. We're three lifelong friends and displaced Scotsmen who get together to talk about our homeland, the weird stuff that happens there, and to remind us why we are the way we are. Welcome to This'll Do Nicely. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's story with Rory. I am one of your hosts, Rory, and I am joined by Christopher. Good afternoon. Good morning. Good evening. Jonathan. Hello, everybody. Hello, hello. Uh, how are we all doing? You guys good? Very good, thanks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah lovely. Good. Lovely. Thank you for asking. You're you're very welcome. Um, now that the pleasant rays are out of the way, you know, we've known <laughs> each you, other Rory? for... You all right? I'm... Well, <laughs> Jonathan, thank you for asking. I'm very good. Thank you. I'm excited. I'm excited about our topic today. You know, it's... Uh, one that I've genuinely enjoyed researching, and uh, you know, I think I've discovered something new—a new, new passion in my life. But um, <laughs> you know, the the three of us have known each other for a long, long time. You know, as far as I remember, pretty much our entire lives. So, I guess if there was some sort of apocalyptic event, if I was stranded, and you know, for some reason that transport didn't exist anymore. How many miles would you say you would walk for me? <laughs> I mean, Chris, I'm going to throw this out to you first. Well, are we going by how, like, your sense of height and feet and measurements <laughs> from the <laughs> episode? Because if that's where you're 50, going, 50,000 feet, I think. Five million <laughs> miles. Oh, that's really, I mean, that's brilliant. So that's what, like, here to Jersey then? Yeah, in some ways, yes. <laughs> uh, Johnny, what about you? I mean, up- upwards of 499 for sure. Oh, that's really... No more than 501. <laughs> exactly. <No more. laughs> so you'd go about halfway as far as the uh, the Reed twins would go for each other. I mean, that's exactly. nice. I-, I would take that. Those guys were brothers. They were twins, and they-, they would walk 500 miles and then 500 more for each other in the love of their life, so... Yeah, uh, I mean, that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about the Proclaimers, um, Charlie and Craig Reed. So before we get into that, though, um, I just want to take a moment, or I'm actually going to hand it over to Chris to take a moment to talk about our new social media empire that is growing and and evolving day by day. Yeah, so as the uh, loyal readers know, we've... um had a Twitter account uh, at ThistleDoPod that we've um, we've had more or less since the start of this. And thank you to the small but passionate fan base who gets in touch and um, gets uh, had lots of good banter on there. I got to commend one of our uh, new super super readers, um, Tim, who we read out his email last <laughs> week, and we asked him if he'd. He was the guy that said that he wanted to be an artist and uh, do uh, pictures of busty squirrels. So I asked him if he could do a picture of a um, busty squirrel dressed up as Zardos from uh, the Sean Connery movie that Rory (laughs) waxed lyrical about during our Connery tribute. And uh, be careful what you wish for, because he did it. He's really comfy for us in this one. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you don't know what I'm talking about, go to our Twitter page and see the um, horrifying uh, (laughs) thing that he has mocked up for us. And you can also go to our new Facebook page. Now, this Facebook thing, um, which I had never heard of until last week, 
this is, believe this is it is some sort of new um, social media platform. I believe it's some social media network. Right. Got it. Got it. Interesting. Okay. I believe that's. I believe that's correct. I thought it was Danish. I've been pronouncing it Facebook. Oh, it could be. I, it could be. I. Right. Um, I believe their uh, head of uh, the whole thing is called Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, very exciting. We finally set up a Facebook page, which is very much a work in progress. Um, but if you want to add followers and like us and whatever, we'll and put put up some more stuff there, put up some pictures. We'll get our episodes on there as well and all that jazz. And you can find it at facebook.com slash thistledopod. Excellent. Um, we've also got a new Instagram account. I mean, literally at this point, it's like 24 hours old. But uh, that is Thistle Do Blank canvas for many things to come. Yes, including fan art. And Chris, you call it horrifying. I call it incredibly, incredibly sexual. Um, <laughs> so each the Horrifyingly sexual. Yes. I mean, if you've been reading any of those stories about Army Hammer this week, it's sort of the uh, picture equivalent of that. <laughs> I've not, but I'm intrigued. <laughs> oh, you should, Rory. You really should. <laughs> I would go to uh, I would go to DailyMail.com for all of that. <laughs> really, really knocked it out of the park. Uh, so yeah, we've got Facebook, we've got Instagram now. That's Thistle Dupod. We've got Twitter as always, which is also Thistle Dupod. Uh, you can always email us thistledonicelypod at gmail.com. We love getting your emails, love getting the, the terrifying fan art. Um, and maybe in the future we'll look on to getting ourselves onto the YouTubes, but I don't know if that's going to happen. Depends how lazy we are. Yeah, I don't know if we want to show our faces as well. To oh, be honest, God, no. <laughs> Could be a huge, huge disappointment. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, is that everything? Is that all our, our Instamedes, whatever we call it? Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think right. so. Well, I think I, we've stuck stuck with the mainstream so far, and we're never, ever going to set up a Snapchat. So, uh, you know, <laughs> let's just uh, put that one to rest right now. <laughs> <laughs> what about OnlyFans? That's definitely coming. Yeah, it's only a matter of time. It's going right? to be... Johnny, I could see you being in charge of our TikTok at some point. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's kind of my space, you know. Fast-moving uh, video media. Beautiful <laughs> <laughs> uh, So, yeah, look forward to our TikTok and our OnlyFans pages coming to a website near you. All right, look, no more of the nonsense. Uh, I've got an incredible amount to get through, so please stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Dad. So, the Proclaimers, that's what we're going to be talking about today. They are most famous for their songs, uh, I'm Going to Be, uh, in open brackets. How does it, how does it, how does it go? Da la da. <laughs> da la da. Da la da la da la da 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 da. Um, phenomenal song. Also, Letter from America. Um, what else have we got? Like All the songs. Sunshine on Leaf. Yes. Throw the yes. R away. Uh, let's get married. Uh, I'm on my way. That's the other one from. That's the one from Shrek. Um, let's get married. Like some real. I think they get known here as a one-hit wonder, um, but there's way more to them than that, and they are a genuinely a phenomenal band. 
um, a couple of twins from Scotland. So I'm going to get into them, tell you a wee bit about them, about their upbringing, and then we're going to get into a couple of their you know, early albums and their most famous songs and then where they are now. Um, okay, so on March 5th, 1962, Charlie Reed was born, uh, and then 30 minutes later he was quickly followed by his twin Craig. They were born in Leith, Scotland, which is on the coast in the northeast of Edinburgh, to Ian and Sheila Reed, uh, who were a joiner and a nurse. So they were, you know, obviously born into a working class family, which becomes prevalent and important. It's quite refreshing that you actually know how they started in life. I know, right? Compared to every other episode that we've done. Yeah, it's quite nice yeah. when you actually can find dates and names. We don't actually know which twin was born first, or if indeed the either of them were born. Was... <laughs> they might not even be Scottish, to be honest. They, they uh, well, I will say it's impossible to tell them apart. I had to, I had to look <laughs> up true. multiple times which one was which, uh, and the, the fact that they're both called Craig and Charlie as well just doesn't make it any easier. Like, call one like Ephraim and the other one Sebastian. Those are two very different names. That's much much easier to remember. But um, so, and apparently their mums would dress them up in slightly different clothes, and I think it's just very much just to tell them apart as well. I just imagine they had those glasses from birth as well. Those like, very so. distinctive black rim glasses. Yeah, the from day one. glasses. Yeah. Um, so they moved around a wee bit. They spent a short time in Cornwall. Um, they ended up back in Scotland in Ochtermuckday in 1972. Ochtermuckday being a town in Fife in the east coast of Scotland, just north of Edinburgh. Ochtermuckday is just a fun thing to say. It's a fun place. <laughs> uh, it's spelled A-U-C-H-T-E-R-M-U-C-H-T-Y. Uh, pronounced Okter Mukti, or just Mukti, if you will. It is a home of Jimmy Shand, who is also another very famous Scottish musician. He was an accordionist. So there was kind of music in the air where they grew up, where they were wee boys. And their parents were definitely musical in the sense of their dad especially liked to listen to, to Ray Charles' old traditional jazz and R&B their mum was into Sinatra, that sort of thing. They grew up listening to music of the 50s and the 60s. So it was the likes of like Chuck Berry, Jerry Lee Lewis, and like I said, Ray Charles. But uh, when they got a little bit older, they turned into teenagers. They got a little bit more into kind of punk. Um, they were still listening to like the mid-60s, like the Beatles and the Stones, that sort of thing. But they did join uh, a couple of punk bands. They That's what they wanted to play. That's what they were more into. So their original bands were the Hippie Hasslers, which I just think is a, an amazing name for, especially for a punk band. Uh, they were members of Black Flag, not that Black Flag, the the uh, American Black Flag. Oh, Antifa. Wait, is and no, no, the punk no, band. I don't know. <laughs> were they always in bands together? Were they in all these things as a as a pairing? They did play with other people very, very early on but predominantly they were just a pair as well. Right. So, but they did think that was... So, that'd be so weird if, like, one of them was supporting the other. Uh, <laughs> one of the bands had made it and the other one had to kind of, you know, get on the coattails. <laughs> the fans would be so confused. Like, didn't <laughs> yeah. we just see these you guys? saw him play. They just both did solo acts and supported each other. <laughs> yeah. So they, one of their very first gigs was in Victoria Hall, uh, Hall in Mukti. 
um, and it was a talent competition. And there's just a great moment where one of them is talking about, I don't know which one, I'm going to say Charlie, where they went on after a performing dog and then somebody playing an accordion. And it was just because that's the best that they had back then. And then those two came on and everybody was incredibly suspicious and basically ran them out of town. Well, to be fair, I think uh, 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 Dancing Dog won Britain's Got Talent one year. So, you know, these things happen. I know. The dog could be very good. Yeah, I know. I think uh, I would watch any performing dog quite happily. Yeah, of course. So they, against the wishes of their parents, they left school when they were 16 and moved to Edinburgh. And basically there, they were still trying to be musicians, but they were basically doing odd jobs just to survive. They were on and off unemployed for like six years, um, staying in bedsits and then doing what they could to make ends meet. And they formed the Proclaimers as we know them in 1983. They were basically like whittled down after playing in all these other bands and trying, like I said, like punk music and rock music and all this type of thing. They had this just acoustic duo, one of them playing guitars, both of them singing, and one of them in percussion. And by percussion, he usually just plays a tambourine. I love the idea of a punk band with their accents. I mean, that that must have been an amazing thing to hear, right? Well, that's, that's, this is the thing. Like, I've got really into the idea of them being punk. And I'll talk about it in a wee bit because it's more, in, in, less the music itself, more the attitude and the style and mm. the sort of sense of self that they got. They get the true punk attitude, which is pretty, pretty cool. But yeah, they, they just wanted this. And I guess that's where the name comes from as well. They wanted this stand up and shout kind of feel to it. They wanted these songs that were anthetic i guess is like they were anthems they wanted an energy to it and considering there's only two of them and they are it's an acoustic guitar they do get an incredible noise and incredible sound from them so it's it's pretty impressive they obviously put time and effort into that aesthetic i guess but they were mainly playing in like local pubs you know just in front of a handful of people and then their main break came in autumn also known as fall for, for the Americans, uh, of 1986, when a tape uh, was recorded of one of their gigs, and it was sent not to a record company, but to the band, the House Martins. You guys, I don't oh, know. Right. If, oh, yeah, isn't, um, isn't the bassist of the House Martins uh, Norman Cook? Fat Boy Slim, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so the House Martins, they did... Um, Caravan of Love. and Yes, that's it, Caravan yeah. of Love. Yeah, and they went on, like, one of them or a couple of them went and created the beautiful south and yeah the the basis went on and became fat boy slim so and they were massive at the time the, the tape that was sent to them wasn't sent by the proclaimers themselves it was sent by a fan somebody had recorded it and was and thought the house martins would like it so sent them the tape the house martins loved it but they had no way of getting in contact with the proclaimers so they were on this it, they were being interviewed on bbc radio one and they had to appeal for the proclaimers to get in touch with them that's amazing, isn't it? I mean, you just you don't get stories like that now, do you? Yeah, yeah, it's it's bananas. Oh, look, if our readers are listening, then you know, if you want to take it upon yourselves uh, to <laughs> send us a cassette, us and um, <laughs> no, just send a cassette of us to somebody to so that we can get noticed, then that'd be great. Only a cassette, though. We've already been through how you can contact us. You don't have to go on the radio to get us. <laughs> I just think I just think it's an amazing like they, like you said that would never happen these days because we have twenty five different social medias we have forty five different ways of getting in contact with people um, we live in each other's pockets but instead a fan sent a tape that he made at a gig to this other band and the band enjoyed them and then had to get in contact with them just over the radio 
Why did the fans send him to the house, Martins? Was it just a sort of, uh, these guys should support you type situation? You'll, or You'd really like these guys, I guess. Okay. Bonkers, I know. That is mad. It's amazing how many like musicians came out of that, out of the house, Martins. It's like, you yeah. know, the Beautiful South and Fatboy Slim and uh, the <laughs> like They're all sort of connected to this band. That's yeah, brilliant. it's very, very cool. So they end up touring with House Martins. Um, so basically because of this, they did this 17-date tour around October of 86. They picked up a manager. Uh, his name was Kenny McDonald. In order to make them a wee bit more professional, try and increase their chances of getting some airtime, they made a couple of videos. And it was, again, just so they could send them to producers so they weren't relying on fans to send in tapes to other bands. And so they made these two videos of them singing uh, Throw the R Away, one of their songs, and Letter from America, just them kicking around Edinburgh and Leith. The video had an amazing uh, production cost of just £50 to the entire <laughs> video itself. So it's just it's nice. just so raw and indie. I love it. I think it's brilliant. But with that video, they scored an appearance on the music show The Tube uh, on the 30th of January 1987. The Tube at the time was... I guess British MTV was a weekly show, kind of like Top of the Pops. Everybody was on it, so they became pretty. And were they playing at that point as as a full band, or was it literally just like the two? Just the two of them. So on the tube, it's just the two of them, and they were introduced as now now for something a little bit weird. And the two of them came on, and this is the thing. I'm going to stop for a moment and talk about like (laughs) just because they're twins. Yeah, this is the thing. Their look and their sound was was a bit weird. I mean, it's fair. You know, they, they, they're identical twins. They dressed not like pop stars or rock stars, especially in the 80s, you know, when you had all kinds of, like, flamboyance and, um, you know, boy bands were becoming a thing. You know, this is late 80s. And these two just kind of look like they've gone for a pub, a pint in the pub after work, and yeah. then they're just doing their piece. They're wearing these like thick rimmed glasses. Their haircuts kind of like with, with the glasses and the haircuts, it kind of makes them look like Rick Astley and Buddy Holly's love children. Like, that's <laughs> that's what they, they look like. And I do think people have a bit of a fascination for family bands and twins. Like there's been a few yeah. twins that have become popular. You know, there's a bunch of family bands out there. I do think people were just intrigued by the whole concept of it. But they're so geeky and so weird looking. And not, I guess not weird looking, that's unfair, but just not traditionally handsome or traditionally. It's funny, you said it earlier, like they're sort of raw in a way. It's like they they could have just come out of, it's like your uncle in the back garden pottering out with a guitar and standing there, you know, it's it's kind of odd. And it's made... But partly weirder because they're like a mirror image of each other. So you sort of got this very memorable visual of two yeah. quite ordinary looking people playing this quite raw music. And it's it's yeah. really fascinating. And I do think, I think this is part of their appeal. And this is what I was saying more about the, the punk part of it is less the music itself or the style of music. It's more the attitude. It's like, we are what we are. We dress the way we, we dress. We look the way we look. Kind of like take it or leave it. And one of them in an interview at one point says they had the determination to do it their own way, not sod the consequences, but accept them. And that was why they were unemployed for six years. That's why they were jobbing around as much as they could, because 
they didn't look the way you were meant to look to become a rock star or a pop star. They didn't sound the way they were meant to sound. They had these thick Scottish accents. And they were weird and bizarre. But people got it. Like, it, 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 people kind of latched onto that authenticity to it and the true, like, speaking your own truth and your own integrity. And it, it became part of their style. And then on top of it, they had this weird country pop rock, this alternative country that they were singing. And their first song, Throw the R Away, and I'll get into a little bit more when I talk about the album, but it's just about like, this is who we are. This is the way we sound. Deal with it. And it's just mm. that kind of anti-establishment kind of fuck you is just brilliant. So yeah, I, and, and like also part of it was like at the time that they were singing, everybody was trying to be trying to imitate the americans everybody in britain was singing with an american accent especially in scotland Mm. there was that transatlantic kind of tone to your voice you were trying to be what you heard in the top 10 billboard chart or whatever and and these guys just coming out and being like this is who we are deal with it was just kind of it's interesting like looking back at that because i I think now because they're so well known in a way you just sort of take it as part of who they are and what they've become. But it it must have been, like, so different back then, particularly when, you know, charts in America were huge and, like you say, British artists were probably emulating a lot of that and trying to sort of sound a bit like it. And then these two (laughs) sort of random-looking Scottish guys just keep their, like, the brogue of their accent and go for it. It must have been kind of amazing at the moment. Yeah. And that's that's it. So so they they did this appearance in the Tube two, two months later... On the 1st of March, they get a record deal with uh, Chrysalis Records. The next day, they were in the recording studio, and they had everything down within nine days. So it just shows that they were already, they were there, formed, ready to go. They weren't going to change their image, their style, or anything else. They were just like, yep, we've got all the songs, let's do this. So within 10 days of getting the record deal, they had their record recorded. Six weeks after that, on the 27th of April, their debut album, This Is The Story, was released, and it eventually went on to become a gold-selling album. Other than the research or, or the past like week or so, had you listened to this album? Do you, do you own it? Like, Johnny, I think you're probably the one that's listened to the most out of the three of us. It's interesting, because I didn't really listen to them growing up that much. I mean, I yeah. think when I was younger, I knew the the big hits, like Letter from America and whatever. And then more in recent years, I've sort of got back into it, partly because I think, especially coming away from Scotland, you find yeah. other things that relate to Scotland kind of more important. I don't know if I ever owned the album, but I mean, partly just because I use Spotify now, but I do think they're brilliant, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and like, if you get beyond the hits, there's some amazing stuff there, and it's all very like rooted in storytelling they, they do have these very distinct accents but the, the actual songwriting of it is kind of amazing and feels very raw and about where they're from and you know yeah. it's it's an amazing set of work i think what about you Herb? uh yeah i mean um my musical tastes growing up are very influenced by what my dad played in the car on the way to school uh, Britney Spears very, mainly. Yeah, there's, there's still like it's still at the top. Like Queen is uh, when everybody did the 2020 Spotify list of top five, but most listened to bands. Queen was still at the top of it. <laughs> Quite right. So you know, I don't deviate too much. But he didn't expose me to the Proclaimers, so I guess I only really knew the kind of big hits. And yeah. 
like I kind of viewed them almost a little bit, I guess, like you said at the beginning, like the Americans might have been almost like a one hit wonder or maybe a two hit wonder. And uh, it's been quite, uh, it's been lovely, refreshing, um, listening to a whole bunch of new of songs that I wasn't even aware of, to be honest. I love, um, I love the folksy feel of it. Yeah, uh, I don't think I appreciated how folksy they were before the clever wordplay and, and and all that. It's yeah, I suppose it's they're probably in some ways quite ahead of their time, and I can see the influences in a lot of other bands mm. uh, that have come out, like Idlewild, for example. I can totally yeah. see where the influence there comes from them, but <laughs> yeah. no, it was it, it they they weren't they weren't a band that's been massively on my radar apart from as I say the Biggies, which. I know that there was a Scottish Parliament Act passed in 1998 that 500 Miles has to be played as the last song in a Scottish nightclub. <laughs> every single Scottish nightclub and every single well, night. Yeah. This or, is, else, that... or else penalty of death. <laughs> I, think, I think you're right. Like, that's the point. I grew up it's similar so with like the, the massive hits. You know, we'll get into to 500 Miles and Letter from America and, and King of the Road which was a cover that they did, but um, they, they were almost like a novelty band yeah. the way when I grew up. It was nice to hear the accent, but everybody just kind of made fun of it a little bit. And the songs, the hits got played so much at like at parties, at sports events, all that sort of thing. It just became this thing of like, yeah, I 500 Miles is a, banging tune but i've heard it four million times i don't need to hear it again and then getting into these other songs some that i've never heard of some of their singles from back in the late 80s early 90s has just opened up like you're right chris like just the the folksy side of it the countryside of it just so much better than i ever knew they were and it's yeah it's phenomenal and this so that the, the first song off their the first single off their first album uh, throw the r away the one that they performed on the tube is just phenomenal to me so it was released in 1987 and it it really didn't do very well as much as they got the traction after that uh, appearance the song itself didn't do especially well on the charts but it's just i i guess going back to it now and especially being you know, away from home and all that sort of thing. It, it's so, it's a song about kind of changing your accent and about the way that you speak and changing the way that you speak just to fit in. And it's kind of lovely and it was kind of a bit oddly emotional hearing it because it's. I, I think it's kind of like what we do is, you know, we've changed our accents a little bit to be more accepted, I guess. You know, we were raised, uh, you know, we went to private schooling and all that type of stuff so we were definitely kind of had the the correct way to say things in quotes beaten into us but <laughs> I, I do feel that there's we weren't beaten we weren't beaten <laughs> well you might not have been uh, <laughs> but I, I like i just do think this goes back to their kind of punk days of you know this is who we are this is the way that we sound you can ask us to change our accents but we're not going to be it's able quite to. a ballsy way for them if their first national exposure is being on the tube is doing a song where it's like we're not gonna we're not gonna uh, roll our R's or sorry we are gonna roll our R's and we're not gonna yeah. flatten anything yeah. for you and if you don't like it then go fuck yourself yeah yourself it's- <laughs> <laughs> but it's beautiful and that attitude is going to last throughout their entire career you know they've got that 
you know, this is, like I said, this is who we are kind of attitude. And also, you know, they get political at times and, and they're very, obviously very opinionated and very kind of confident in themselves, which is, which is great. So they release this single. It doesn't do particularly well, but it, it's, it gets released on the album, This Is The Story, uh, also released in 1987. So the second single from this album, released later that year, is Letter From America. And anybody who knows the Proclaimers, especially back home, I don't know about America so much, but at least back home and definitely in places like Australia, New Zealand, um, will know Letter From America. And it's it's an excellent song. The, the song itself that was released wasn't the album version. It was actually re-recorded and arranged by fellow Scotsman Jerry Rafferty. So we talked mm. about him on our Conley. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So he was in the Humble Bums, and he's also of like Baker Street and Stuck in the Middle uh, with You fame. And it, it, it made complete sense. He put more of the band behind them. They gave them, gave them that extra energy. So you can hear it on the album. You can hear, well, re-releases of the album, obviously. You can hear the original, just the two of them version of it, and then the re-recording. And they're both excellent. But this song reached number three in the UK by December and then number two in Ireland. And it's honestly, it's brilliant. It's, it's very, and that's why I was kind of mentioning their pol- political views and their opinions earlier on, because this song is very much about Scotland um, and it's very much about, you know, the home feel and it mentions individual towns. <laughs> it's an amazing think, tour around Scotland at the end of it, isn't it? It just like yeah. name, name checks all these places around Tiny the, the little country. Places. Yeah. And I think that must have been amazing back in the day, hearing places like Lockhammer and Methyl. <laughs> yeah, exactly. In this song that was, you know, in a pop song that was being played in your radio. And, and the song itself is about people leaving behind their homes due to the likes of unemployment and economic depression in order to try and seek a better life in America or Canada. And it was definitely, it was talking about the time itself, the, you know, Britain in the late 80s, Scotland in the late 80s, but it was also referring back to or, or reminiscent of the Highland Clearances back in the 1800s. And this kind of helped cement their image as a protest band and, and a band that aren't afraid to talk about, you know, or sing about politics, but in an incredibly catchy, hooky way that everybody just, again, it's like an anthem. I think that's the thing about them. It's like they they seem to be able to balance that thing of big, poppy, catchy tunes, but being thoughtful and opinionated about the 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 lyrics and the content and then even the structure of that song has that big funny bit where it slows down at the end and mm. like it's a bit w- weird in a way like there's all these odd bits and it I think when you get into some of those tracks beyond like 500 miles and everything it's like they they're so the songwriting is amazing I think and that is a brilliant example of it I reckon but it's still really simple yeah and repetitive in a in a good way it's easy to kind of sing along to and get behind mm. and just like yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sort of like no more. Straddling between anthem and protest song, it's, it's very yeah, it's good. But and at the same time, it's you know, it's like a, a love song. It's about you know leaving something behind that you truly love that you can't have anymore because of circumstances outside of your control. And it's I think that's why it just resonated with so many people. Oh, it was beautiful. <laughs> So from that album, they also release in 88, uh, Make My Heart Fly. 
uh, it's a it's a nice song, but it really didn't do particularly well in the charts. It was around you know the the six days or something like that. Uh, there's also I think on that album there's the joyful Kilmarnock blues, which is I think maybe one of my favorite songs. Listen to that earlier; it's great of their entire discography. Yeah. Very very good song. So in '88 they follow up. This is the story with Sunshine on Leith, and Sunshine on Leith is. A, a massive follow-up. This is probably their most famous album. Some just incredible songs on it. And they're obviously more confident. There's much more production value behind the album. They A lot of the times they're playing with a full band behind them, not just the two of them. And this is the album that would really give them like international fame. It would eventually go on to become platinum in the UK, double platinum in Australia, gold in the US. And honestly, I think I've listened to it about five times in the past three days. It's just... <laughs> amazing um and a lot of reason for the success of that is the first song on the record and the first single they released off of it which is a little song called i'm gonna be open brackets 500 miles close brackets or open open parentheses for the americans yes thank you open parentheses 500 miles Miles. close parentheses (laughs) uh this song is i mean it just won't stop like it is Truly, when we're talking about anthems, this is a true anthem. I mean, it's it's essentially Scotland's unofficial national anthem now. Yes. Yeah. And I'm not trying to be funny when I say that. Everybody yeah. knows the words to karaoke. It's a like, go-to every single time. Yeah. If in doubt, 500 miles. But, so, so when they released it uh, in 88, it originally only made, made it to number 11 in the UK charts. Wasn't like a massive hit, but it was, you know, almost top 10, which is pretty good. But it keeps on coming back for a variety of different reasons. Uh, It resurfaces and just becomes more and more popular in different times. It reached number one in New Zealand at one point. It reached number one in Australia, number one in Iceland. (laughs) It eventually got to number three in the US. Uh, And that was a lot later. Well, it was about, that was 1993, and I'll get into that why. But it was originally... When it was released in America, it was originally banned in certain radio stations, particularly because of (laughs) because of the line "When I haver, well, I know I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the man (laughs) who's havering to you," because they didn't know what the word haver meant, and they just assumed it was something lewd and lavicious (laughs) or whatever, like something dirty. That checks out. Americans just. Not doing any research and immediately <laughs> flying off the cuff. Just assuming it's the devil's work. That word haver is definitely something. So that that filthy European muck. <laughs> oh, it was just brilliant. The famous story of it is that Craig wrote it in 45 minutes while waiting to see, uh, waiting to go and see Hibs play, uh, which kind of checks out to a degree it's a very very simple song it's very repetitive but like I just love imagining those moments of those big songs of like the day you know someone shows up to the studio and they're just like oh, i've got this idea <laughs> it's like do you like they imagine it being sung back to them and i'm always so curious about those moments where someone's written a banger like do they I mean, know immediately Johnny, you're a musician. Should we just pause for 45 minutes and then you can go away and just write <laughs> an international write a, global write hit? That'd be yeah. nice. I mean, I, well, I, I, it's been 35 years and I haven't written one yet, so... <laughs> you know you only need 45 minutes, mate. You've got a couple of years left in you. I wouldn't worry about that. Yeah. 
so he says when he wrote it he knew it was a good song obviously didn't know it was going to be what it was what it ended up being but i can't and i know that they were trying to write these big anthemic songs as well but the part the diddle part i can't get my head around that like sitting down writing it and just being like all right this part we'll just make some noises yeah, so we've run it. I can't be bothered writing any more lyrics. Let's just go. Da, 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 da. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how does that work? It's brilliant. It's genius. Because can I can I confess something mm-hmm. uh, that I for you know what I think Adam and Joe you call them eggcorns. Yes. Uh, I, for years, I thought that da, 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 was surrender, surrender. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Telling you that's really weird. Yeah, I still say that actually when I sing it because I've been used to. I don't know why. I, I have no idea why. Surrender. It doesn't even surrender. Surrender. <laughs> it's great. Did very well in Britain in 1993. That's when it became big again in America, and it was mainly because it was featured in this movie called Benny and June which was starring Johnny Depp and Mary Stuart Matherson, uh, Masterson. Sorry. I'd never heard of this film. I don't know if you guys have. I, any yeah, I was going to ask you, actually, because I remember uh, watching the video for it on, um, I think, Q and Kerrang! back in the day. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, I thought it was uh, for What's Eating Gilbert Grape. So I got yeah. my Johnny Depp films mixed up. But uh, no, I've, I'd never heard of that film. I mean, it. I don't know, I've never seen it. It looks rubbish. But it propelled <laughs> it propelled five hundred miles to number three in America. And, you know, helped boost their um the album sale as well. So it also it was re released in the UK in two thousand and seven along like the Proclaimers along with a couple of comedians, um Peter Kay and Matt Lucas for charity, and it went back to number one there. Uh, it's been in just a bunch of movies, a bunch of TV shows. Uh, it continues to get played all over the world. One of my favorite little facts about it, it's not much to do about anything, but I enjoy it. Um, if you were to play the song from the International Space Station, by the time the song had finished playing, the station would have traveled 1,000 miles or 500 miles and then 500 more. Which I think is pretty cool. <laughs> That's good. That's very good. Pretty cool. Who timed that? That's. Um, I want to know who timed that. Some very bored astronaut. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's, I'm going to be, I'm not going to go through every single song in the album. I'm not going to go through every single album, but we do need to talk about a couple of others. Sunshine Over Leith. So this was the second single from this album. Uh, obviously, the album has the same title, and this was again released in '88. Um, and we were just talking about, you know, their stadium anthems and how "500 Miles" becomes this song that is played at every sports event in Scotland and around the world. This song is just a sad, slow ballad. It's, it's beautiful. <laughs> I really like it. But like the the opening lines are, um, "My heart is broken. My heart is broken. Sorrow, sorrow, sorrow." It, it's very. <laughs> Sad. It's quite a sad song, isn't it? But it, yeah. It also feels quite uplifting, I think. I don't know what it is about it. It's it's, well, it's, it's sort of it, sad and powerful. Beautiful and powerful, yeah, yeah exactly. But and, and Craig Reed considers it his you know best song, the best one he's ever written. Um it never charted particularly well. It peaked at forty one in the UK, but for some reason it got picked up as 
the song for Hibs for Hibernian football team, which is the boys, <laughs> like the, the Proclaimers' favorite um, football team and uh, a football team from Edinburgh. And it, it's just, I can't get my head around this. Like, the song gets sang by thousands of fans every time they play. And it's genuinely very moving. Very <laughs> I really moving. love when slow ballads get taken on by football teams. There was a thing yes. the other week where there was a... I can't remember what team was playing. It was like an FA Cup game uh, in the UK. And this lower league team went through and there was shots of them in the in their dressing room singing like an Adele ballad as a big team. So it's like also <laughs> jumping around but singing this really slow Adele song. It's, it's just something very un- unnerving about the whole thing. I just wonder if it's like... You know, it's a huge group of predominantly men, very emotional and don't really know what to do with it. And these songs broken. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And I I mean, if you've ever seen Hibs play, I mean, those (laughs) lyrics heartbreaking football. (laughs) Sorrow, sorrow. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, honestly, uh, definitely YouTube Hibs fans singing "Sunshine Over Leith." It's it's a it's genuinely emotional. It's quite moving. It's also uh, an amazing song where it I think it really shows when they sing together what happens because yes. you've got that kind of funny thing where because they're twins they they sound quite similar. So in a way, it's almost like double tracking your voice in a song yeah. like they're so close, but and then they harmonize really well and and I think that song is an amazing example when they play off each other when they're singing. It's very beautiful. So. Yeah, no, and they do that. Yeah, you're you're 100 right, and they do that a lot in their songs. That mm. harmonizing between the two of them is is phenomenal. But it does it especially well on the song. But um, yeah, and and so from this album, the next year they release "I'm on My Way," which top 50 in the UK, number three in banger. Australia. It's an absolute <laughs> banger that song. Uh, yeah. it, it it really really rose to fame recently when it was in uh you know the movie about the Scottish ogre Shrek. Go back oh, and watch yeah. that film. It's in there. It's a great song as well. I like how you quantified Shrek as the Scottish ogre there, as if <laughs> there's been other films by other Shreks. It's like, no, no, no. He's a Scottish ogre. He's a Scottish one. He's, just to make sure. he's a Scottish one. Just checking. He's just... not. He's not the Filipino. Uh, well, just ogre it just did. <laughs> It means it means I can justify doing an episode on Shrek at some point in the future of the Shrek <laughs> fan- franchise. Additional songs from that album, uh, you know, there's there's a few not necessarily released, but just really good ones. Uh, oh, Jean, I, I'm only mentioning that because it has the the, the they refer to a slap in the pus, um, so it has the word <laughs> pus right. in it, which is just brilliant, which is Scottish for face. When I Met You, again, is just a brilliant song. Again, one of my favorites, possibly my favorite off that album. Um, Cap in Hand, which is, again, another excellent song. Uh, it's about Scottish independence. has the lines, but I can't understand why we let somebody else rule our land, Cap in Hand. Uh, hey, 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 this isn't a political podcast. Let's move on. Next song. <laughs> you know, we're eventually... And this was in, like, 1989, and they're talking about Scottish independence. They have... Yeah, and we're going it. to be talking about it in another 30 years' time as well. <laughs> yeah, inevitably, <laughs> I know. But yeah, this is it. They, they, again, they, they've been political their entire career. They are fiercely supportive of Scottish independence, but they're not. They're, they're also very open about saying that they, they're not anti-English or anti-Britain. They just think that Scotland should be recognised and distinct, which I think is very fair. And so, yeah, definitely... 
you know, go back and 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 listen to what an album, by the way. I mean, listing those I songs just, that's unbelievable, right? It's a beautiful album. I would just go back and listen to it. anybody. You you won't do yourself wrong. So yeah, because of this, they because of the release of Sunshine on Leith, they had this nine month world tour. Um, had them performing, like going from the pubs that they they were playing just a few years earlier to playing the 80, 1989 Glastonbury where they played in front of like 65,000 people. The album was critical and commercial hits and obviously quite rightly. Eventually in 2007, there was a stage play named Sunshine on Leith. It was written by Stephen Greenhorn and it featured their music, not just from that album, but, you know, including other, other songs. Um, it was actually performed at Dundee Rep where my mum used to work. But um, much, much after she left. Um, so that was that play was made into a film and released in 2013. <laughs> Johnny, you saw this film, right? <laughs> I did watch it. I mean, I really like their music. And... <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice disclaimer. Oh, yeah, we, we like our disclaimers on these episodes. Uh, I mean, the film is rubbish. Yeah. Uh, do you know, I watched it this week. And I'm pretty sure I've seen it before, actually, having watched it. And I think it's the kind of film I'd watched on a flight or something like that. It, it reminded me of, you know, that where you just put on something to pass the time. Yeah. And um, it, I mean, any of those like musicals, and yeah. they're sort of just a vehicle to like crowbar all the songs into a story, right? And I, I get that. I just, I find it a bit painful. Like the acting's a bit painful and the accents are a bit painful and the songs are slightly like musicified versions of the songs and so while the music is great i yeah. just i don't know it's such a cheese fest it is pretty <laughs> grim <laughs> is there any like really really uh painful dialogue in it like oh so uh yeah i need to go down from uh, edinburgh to the south of france <laughs> it's an awful long way away oh how many miles is it well it's not uh, it's not quite as <laughs> It's not quite as hammy as that. Surrender. 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 I also was laughing because it's called Sunshine on Leith, which is in Leith and Edinburgh. And yeah. I was reading that a lot of it's actually shot in Glasgow, which made me kind of giggle about Of, of course. course it is. Um, like it's okay. It's a bit of fun, but it's not anything on the actual music. Although, funny enough, the two brothers are in it very briefly. Like, they just, they sort of do this little cameo where they walk out of a pub past the, the two main characters in the beginning. So they've clearly given it their blessing, which I thought was quite oh, interesting. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I get the feeling that, you know, if we'd put a wee bit of effort in, they probably would have appeared in this podcast. They seem like really affable <laughs> men and just quite happy to kind of be where they are and have the success that they are. And like, oh, you want to you wanna turn our songs into a film? Yeah, sure, go ahead. Yeah. You want to turn it into a stage play? Yeah, go nuts. I, I, I think that's, yeah, I'm not surprised at all, but it's a shame it's not too good. But No, I, um, I'm i not sure I would recommend watching it. Okay, so yeah, that was released in 2013. Um, you know, maybe go out and watch it yourself. Make your own opinion. Don't listen to Johnny. He's obviously an idiot. Um, so I'd love to hear if people thought it was brilliant. Because maybe it is, and, and why, yeah. <laughs> Because <laughs> maybe I've missed something enormous about it, but I, it was, I don't know, didn't enjoy that. Ellen much. Keller loves it. <laughs> they, so they, after, <laughs> after. That's a bit like Keller joke. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know, it's, a, it's, a, 
It's a weird reaction there from me. Just jumped into her head. Did he just? Did he just say that? Well, okay. I don't know why she was a man. Yeah, take her down a peg or two. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Sunshine. So yeah, after Sunshine and Leith was released, they also had a hit with the cover of uh, King of the Road, which was originally done by Roger Mill Millers. I love this song. This is probably the one, other than 500 Miles, is the one that I know the most from growing up is them doing this cover. They released a third album, Hit the Highway, in 1994. And from that, they released Let's Get Married as a, as a single. It's the first song on the album, and it's the first single. And Johnny, I know you love this song in particular. It's a great it's, song. Again, it's a great song. Right, I think it's up there in my top three of favorites of them. It's fair. It's definitely another banger. Um, the album itself is good. It gets more country, I would say, more kind of twangy at times, which is mm. fun. It's very up and down in the sense of you never know what the next song's style is going to be. It could be another like massive anthem. It could be something that's just kind of a bit of a slow love song. Uh, it's, it's a fun listen. Um, I, I don't think it compare. I don't think it's as good as the first two, but it's definitely a very good album. That's a, that's their third album in 1994. After that, they just kind of toured constantly, and they, they've throughout their career they've released a total of 11 albums, and they're still going strong. And that's not even counting like their their best of albums or their compilations or anything like that. And I don't really want to go into every single one of their albums and everything else they've done. Because there's just too much we could be sitting here. We've got a lot more podcasts to make. Yeah, we could be. I'll fill in a few. Save that for OnlyFans, all right? Yeah, Burns Night's coming up. We we don't have time to get into everything, but um, yeah, definitely go back and listen to the, the first three albums. I am gonna go and listen to their entire catalogue now. I did listen to their latest one, Angry Cyclist, which was released in 2018, and again, it's just like a solid Proclaimers album. The sound is still the same as their first album. Is that know, a protest just... album about what Boris Johnson has done to London's <laughs> transport and congestion? It's, uh, I mean, that song. So again, they've released the first song off the album, the first track. Uh, I'm going to find some of the the lyrics because it's it's another kind of political protest song they're still doing it 30 years later is it angry cyclist or angry cyclists does only one of them cycle angry is that why cyclists. he's angry no i think they're talking about other people like they're annoyed at the cyclists or oh they've been talking to my dad then yes i think so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like so so some of the lyrics here are um, watch bigotry advance, give ignorance a chance, with fascists we now dance, my oh my. And that's, so again, that's the kind of what they're they're singing about these days, 30 years later, they're still protesting, they're still... Ha- What's the chorus? Is it, does it just go surrender, surrender, surrender? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that's weird, it does. Um, well, you'd think any protest song might include those lyrics at some point, right? No, I'm sure at some point they've got a song that has it. They've got 11 <laughs> albums. Like, yeah, at some point they're gonna do it. But it, the album's good. It's, it's again worth a listen. It's it, it, it was described in this interview by somebody called Wright Wyatt UK. These catchy hooks and melodies, gorgeous close harmonies, and clever, subtle, and all often biting lyrics we've come to expect. And I think that's a very good way of summing up them and their albums and that's what the latest one continues to be so 
like I said, they've toured consistently for 30 years. They've played Live Eight. They played the Football World Cup. They were on Family Guy. Their songs are in multiple TV shows. Their best of albums go platinum or gold. They're just, I don't know. They're they're probably probably the biggest band to come out of Scotland. Uh, yeah. I think must be out there. Yeah, definitely. I would say so for um, the the worldwide, at the very least, the worldwide uh, mega hits that they had. But then you add the rest of the catalog on there afterwards. So for sure, I don't know yeah. about solo artists, but but maybe even that, maybe big. I'm not I'm not quite sure. Yeah, Susan Boyle. <laughs> Susan Boyle. I mean, no, but she doesn't have the longevity. Give her time. <laughs> I don't know how much time she's got. That's not a threat. Does, does Rod Stewart count? Is Rod Stewart a fake Scotsman? No, or is he he's, real? yeah. He's a fake Scotsman. I think like, yeah. he's born in England, but his one of his parents, I think, is Scottish. But England patented him. And we've claimed him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's not much else to be said about these guys. They are. They do tend, tend to, They do seem to be lovely. Um, there's a documentary, a 30-year documentary that the BBC released that I would really recommend watching. Uh, it's hosted by David Tennant, who is a massive fan. Like David Tennant, who's you know one of the Doctor Who's, he was in Broadchurch and uh, what is it, Jessica Jones, the Marvel TV show. We'll eventually do an episode yeah. on David Tennant, um, but he's a huge fan, genuinely massive fan since he was a wee boy uh I've seen them multiple times got all their albums all that sort of thing so he's just a delight during the interview <laughs> with them uh-huh. um documentary really good i just i watched on youtube matt lucas from well people around the world will know him from great british bake-off he is currently one of the co-hosts he's the one that looks like a giant baby is also a massive fan like I, I, and he to the extent he directed one of their music videos recently oh really uh, yeah um, huge fan. Oh, well, he did um, the uh, cover as well for yeah. Uh, yeah. Comic Relief, wasn't it, a few years ago? Yeah, I think he was uh, genuinely delighted to do that. Chris, what are your thoughts on, on the Proclaimers? I, I'm, I mean, I'm just kind of relieved at the end of that there. I thought you were going to like uh, completely torpedo what their personal life was like. You know, <laughs> the two of them between them have got 23 kids over 24 women. Yeah, uh, They've left a string of death and destruction behind them uh, and all that and yeah, well, at the end you were like well no they're very nice well yeah I mean I will say uh, every so often I stumbled upon a Daily Mail or Daily Record article that was talking about their um, extramarital affairs uh, which seemed oh really are you being serious or no yeah there was at least a couple of them uh, one of them dabbled with a Canadian groupie so this is one of the episodes where the Canadians don't come out looking quite as good as they usually do so there you go oh, take no. that Canada <laughs> not them Sorry. down in perch <laughs> Johnny what about you I think I, I don't know I was quite excited about doing this one and the bit I hadn't realised is Throw the R.O.A. was like the first single and I love that because like actually on that album there was ones that you can imagine a record company being like you know do the big you know, anthemic, pop-sounding song first. And I love that they started with this really odd, like, song about accents and fitting in. And I think there's something really lovely about that. And also, it makes me think, 
it's really interesting starting to get into things like Scottish bands because it sort of opens the door for us in a way where like there's so much of the what like Chris said earlier like what they've inspired from Idlewild yeah. and Admiral Fallow and all the things that come after that uh, and so I, I think there's loads of territory there for us to like get into more of that like Scottish music and if we can be a bit of a conduit for people who haven't heard these things before like digging further back into the music that you know is not the big <laughs> number one hits uh, I think that's a good thing for us to do. Yeah, I no, I think you're completely right. I was almost the song "500 Miles" is almost like I said when I grew up, they were kind of like a novelty band, and they they weren't, but that's what I thought they were. And the song is almost embarrassing because you know it's like, oh, I'm Scottish, and I'm like, oh, 500 miles, da la da da la da, and that's it. Surrender. <laughs> Surrender. And now getting to know them a little bit more, getting to know more of their songs. I'm kind of proud of their attitude and mm. their their opinions. And like you said, the, the way that they forge the path, I think, for other Scottish artists to come out and sing in their native accents to not have to pretend to have a different accent than they actually do. And I think that's that's great. And sticking to their guns and keeping their the same attitude and the same sort of style and the same like physical look their entire career and just mm. been like, yep, this is who we are. Starting with that song, throw the R away and right through to the end is just, and they've still, they've still got time. Like they're still young men. It's cool. Very, very cool. Very well, they're cool. not that young. Well, you know, yeah. 50 is the new 35 or something. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how old they are. could do the math, but not that. Um, but yeah, so Rory, you, uh, are you, do you, uh, would you now consider yourself a, a big fan of them going forward? Would you want to go yeah. see them live if they oh were my in God, your yes. area? Yes, going to see them live. I think they were, they're going to be they're going to be one of the bands that would be just amazing live. Which you brother know, is your favorite? Uh, the one on the right. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, me too. Yeah, I think I think Charlie plays the guitar. I think Craig plays the tambourine and sings. Right. I believe that's how it goes. Don't quote me on that, but I think. Thanks for researching that so thoroughly yeah. as to know which one's which. I really tried, Johnny. You, tried. you did everything. You did everything else, and you still can't figure out which one's which. It's not possible. I, I'm. I'm not sure that they know. <laughs> Wait, maybe which, one are, which one am I? Maybe that's why they had the marital problems because they kept doing the old twin swap game, and the wife's got fed up with it eventually. I like it. I mean, it's 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 smart. That's how you yeah. keep things interesting, right? <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, on that note, gents, this'll do. This'll do nicely. But I would walk 500 miles and I would walk 500 more just to be the man who walks a thousand miles to fall down at the road.
Hello! Thanks for listening, everybody. Just a couple more things. Please don't forget to subscribe and review the podcast on iTunes and Spotify and all other podcasting apps. You can email us at thisldonicelypod at gmail.com. Visit the website thisldonicelypod.com. Visit us on Twitter at thisldopod. All original music in this podcast is written and performed by our very own Johnny Naismith. Please like and subscribe to his YouTube channel and follow him on Instagram at J-A-W underscore K-N-E-E underscore loves hugs and kisses from the Thistle Do Nicely pod.